0: Is Luke? I'm one of the pastors, and that's a weird place to start a series in the book of John. You thought, I thought we were starting a series in the book of John, but you made me turn to John 20. What what the heck? Well, that'll make more sense here um, in just a minute. Uh, Let me just see, kind of show of hands, and if you're watching online, you can raise your hand, and that's fine too. But how many of you like documentaries? How many of you like watching documentaries? Yeah, an amazing number of hands here in this room. I guess is a lot of you online. Uh, that might be actually what you decide to switch over to here in just a couple minutes is to a, a documentary. Um, it's crazy now because of streaming and Netflix um, how much more available documentaries are. Like I don't think a lot of us used to go see documentaries unless you kind of found one on some weird you know, high-numbered cable channel. Like, we didn't used to watch them much, but we watch them a bunch now. And uh, in a year that's just been really, really challenging, one of the best parts for me of 2020 so far has been the documentary about the the 90s bulls and Michael Jordan called The Last Dance. Did any of you see that? Any of you see The Last Dance? I mean, it was just like the best thing going at one point. Uh, it was kind of the only thing going <laughs> at one point, um, but it was such a great series. Some of you are like, no, I'm not into that. I'm more of a Tiger King person, and uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand for that or to cheer <laughs> for that. But, but either way, a big part of this year has been, has been documentaries. One of my favorite movies over the last number of years. I, I actually see quite a bit of movies uh, when theaters or open, Um, and uh, one of my favorite movies over the last few years has been Three Identical Strangers. It's an incredible documentary. And the reality is a great documentary is, is as good or sometimes even better than just a normal feature film. I mean, they can just be incredible, only it takes place with real, real stuff. Uh, one of the best documentarians, uh, really, of, of kind of this generation has been Ken Burns. He did a documentary on baseball and the Civil War and on jazz, and he's done lots of different documentaries, and here's what Ken Burns says about it. He says, I'm friends with Steven Spielberg. The laws of storytelling are the same for both of us, but I often say to him, you can make stuff up, I can't. There's as much drama in what is and what was as there is in anything the human imagination Can come up with. He's saying, you know, you get to make stuff up. I have to go with what is and what was, but I can still tell it in a compelling way. And listen, today we begin one of the best documentaries of all time, which is the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, one of my other favorite documentaries to watch, you can kind of see a theme here between Last Dance and, uh, and ESPN's 30 for 30. I actually think Last Dance was a 30 for 30, but there's these sports documentaries on ESPN called 30 for 30. And at the beginning of each of these documentaries, they have about a 60-second you know, or so clip where the director of the film says, here's what I was trying to do with this movie. Here's, here's what made me think of it. Here's what I wanted to accomplish. And then you see the documentary. And verse 30 really is kind of the same thing. Verse 30 and 31 here, look again at what it says. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. He goes on to say that he, why he wrote the things that he wrote. But, but that's essentially what he's doing here is he's saying, listen, I was being selective as I figured out what to include in my documentary. I think sometimes when we come to the gospels, these accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, sometimes what happens is we begin to think of it like it's just security camera footage, right? We kind of imagine that they're just kind of, like, kind of throwing up all the different stuff that Jesus did. And the reality is these Gospels, and John in particular, are not security camera footage. They are like finely crafted documentary films. Here's what that means. Everything in this book really happened, It it was truth. It really took place. But John isn't just haphazardly kind of security camera footage showing you all the stuff that happened. He, He has a reason. He has a purpose, right? He's being selective. That's what he says in verse 30. There was a lot of other stuff Jesus did, a lot of other signs that aren't included here. I've intentionally not told you everything. Verse 31 says, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in his name. Again, Ken Burns, that uh, documentary filmmaker, says this. He says, when somebody tells me what I left out of jazz or baseball, can you imagine that? You know, I don't know how long that baseball documentary is, like a hundred years, right? Like the history of baseball has been as long as that documentary. And some people go up to him and, hey, you left this out he says, well, the reason is I'm not an encyclopedia. I do not wish for this to be a list of every World Series, every secondary jazz session players. Telling a story is editing. When your significant other says, honey, how was your day? You don't say, I backed slowly down the driveway, avoiding the garbage can at the curb, You cut to the chase, you tell stories, you edit. That's what human beings do. Now, now our kids don't do this. This is why telling about our day at dinner is like, come on, move it along. I don't need every detail. Edit, please, edit. And John is saying, I'm editing here. Now, again, editing doesn't mean making up. Editing doesn't mean creative license. But he's strategically organizing this book for a purpose. And that's where we wanted to start with this passage today. We'll look at John 1 and just begin to plod through it. So you know, uh, this series of the book of John, it's going to take us through the end of the year and into next year, maybe even most of next year, it's going to be a long one because we want to sit and soak in the beauty of Jesus. We feel like there's just nothing in this world right now that is as important or as life and hope giving as Jesus Can we say amen online? Can we say amen? There is no other hope that we have but Jesus. So taking a long time, right? I could get real clever about all these ways to kind of try to communicate to you and and that might be valuable, but but I just wanna go like, let's look at Jesus. That's what we're doing at Cross Redemption Church is we're just gonna look at Jesus. So here's what we're gonna see today as John introduces his approach to this documentary filmmaking. We're gonna see who Jesus is We're going to see what Jesus did, and we're going to see what Jesus wants. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did, and what Jesus wants. And by the way, those three things you're going to see in this passage, so I hope you have your Bible in front of you, and you're going to see this through our whole study of the Gospel of John. So that's where we're going to look today. Let's pray together, and let's dive in. I'm excited to dive in. Let's do it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus, the Christ, the Son of God, we thank you for his life and his signs, his death and his resurrection, his teaching, his brilliance, his wisdom, his power, his tenderness and his compassion and his goodness. And Father, we pray now that as we look to this book over these next minutes and over this next year plus, God, that you would focus our attention on the hope that we have in him. Like it says in Hebrews, Father, could we fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith? God, there's so many other competing things for us to fix our eyes on. Help us to fix our eyes on Christ and to see him and to be invited into the life that he gives. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So first we're going to see who Jesus is Is, who Jesus is. And here's what this passage says that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's what it says in verse 31. But these things are written so that, right, here's my purpose, so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So John's got an agenda here. He's being very clear, he's being very transparent, right? Sometimes you wonder that when you watch a documentary, you go, what's their agenda? I know they have an agenda. John's going, Guilty. I got an agenda. I got an agenda. I want you to see who Jesus is. And who you're going to see Jesus is, is the Christ, the Son of God. Now, that, that word Christ, uh, that word is used 19 times throughout this Gospel of John, so almost one per chapter. And uh, th- this word Christ is, is really Jesus' title. It's not his last name, right? Like if you sent a letter to Jesus' parents, you wouldn't address it to Mr. and Mrs. Christ, Right? Sometimes that's how we think of it. Well, Jesus Christ, that's like his last name, like Luke Simmons. No, no, no. It's it's really Jesus the Christ. And this word Christ is the Greek way, Christos, it's the Greek way of, of talking about the Hebrew idea of a Messiah. So when you see Jesus Christ, what you should be thinking is Jesus Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. Well, what does Messiah mean? Messiah means anointed one. The the Jews were looking forward to a day when there would be a Messiah, an anointed one who would come and would rescue and would deliver the people. Here's a description just of this theologically in the pocket dictionary of theological terms. Here's what they say. The Old Testament people of God came to anticipate a person anointed by the Spirit. Remember, that means anointed one, anointed by the Spirit, who would function as king and priest over Israel. Hence, in Jewish theology, the Messiah was the person endowed with special powers and functions by God who would appear as the divinely appointed history climaxing deliverer and ruler of Israel. That's what a Messiah was. Right? Just some background on this because you've got to understand this, this term Christ. It's not his name, it's his title. They were expecting a ruler, a deliverer. Someone who would bring in the kingdom of God. Now here's what's fascinating when you look at it with Jesus, and we actually see this even in this verse, is that Jesus both fulfills that expectation and redefines it, right? They were expecting a human deliverer that would help overthrow Rome and overthrow the people who oppressed uh, the, the Israelites. They were expecting someone like that. Jesus fulfills that. But Jesus then also redefines it and says, listen, the Messiah is not just a human figure, but what does it say there in verse 31? These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's another key phrase in the Gospel of John, the Son of God or the Son. This is used 29 times. Over 100 times in the book of John, Jesus refers to God as Father. That was not how most Jews talked about God. They talked about him as Lord. They would rarely even say the name God. They definitely didn't talk about him as Father, but Jesus does. And, and in doing so, Jesus is saying, Yes, I'm the Messiah, but I'm also divine. It's a claim to divinity. I want to show you a, a very clear example of this in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, verse 24, everyone's trying to figure out, you'll see as we get through this, everyone's trying to figure out who is this guy? What's he really about? What's he doing? And here's what it says in John 10, 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Right? If you're the Messiah, if you're the anointed one, just say it. Come on, dude. Like quit holding out on us. Just tell us. Jesus. Now listen, how? because remember, when they say, are you the Christ? What their meaning is, are you the human ruler that's come? Watch how Jesus redefines this. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who's given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Then here's the key, key phrase, I and the Father are one So so wait a minute so so just get this I and the Father are one Hey hey Jesus just cut cut to the chase Are you are you the Messiah are you the Christ cuz we're expecting this human deliverer are you him And Jesus says You don't understand who I am cuz cuz you're not really listening to my voice I and the Father are one So so how did he answer it He said yeah I'm the Christ but I'm way more I'm God And they understood this clearly, because look at the very next line. The Jews picked up stones again to stone him. Right? Why would they pick up stones? Because you're going to stone, you're going to kill, you're going to execute somebody who claims to be God. Jesus totally redefines this. Now, this is really important because there's a lot of times in our day when people will say, well, I I think Jesus is kind of interesting and he did some cool stuff and and did some miracles and there's some teaching of his that I really like. Like, um, you know, Thomas Jefferson was sort of famous for his Jefferson Bible where he actually took the New Testament and he got scissors out and he cut out all the parts where Jesus claimed to be divine. He said, I don't really like that part. I just like the kind of other teaching he did and stuff like that. And uh, philosopher C.S. Lewis says that's not really an option listen to this uh, this kind of a long quote but it's very thoughtful he says this Lewis says I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him which is I'm ready to accept Jesus as great moral teacher but I don't accept his claim to be God that is the one thing we must not say You can shut him up for a fool, you can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God, but let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that option open to us. That's how strong of a claim Jesus is making here in the Gospel of John, and, and John is just being very clear about it. I've written it for this reason. Here's my agenda. Here's why I made the film. Here's why I wrote the book, so that you would believe that he's the Christ, the Son of God. And by the way, have life in his name. We'll talk about that in a minute. Now, you might say, well, but couldn't this all just be a legend, right? That's another option. Maybe Jesus was a liar. He wasn't really God. Maybe he was crazy, the poached egg theory. Or maybe this is all just made up. Maybe it's just a legend, Here's the thing, the the guy writing this was an eyewitness of Jesus, and he was a Jew. And Jews were fiercely monotheistic, which meant they were not in any way about to claim that some person was actually God. But John and all the other disciples, who were all Jews, who would be radically against claiming that a person was God, write down that Jesus is God. Why? Because he rose from the dead. But I'm getting ahead of myself getting ahead of myself. We'll get there in a little bit. All right, so that's who Jesus is. He's the Christ, the Son of God. Secondly, let's look at this. What Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Well, Jesus previewed the world to come. Jesus previewed the world to come. This is kind of keying in on this word in verse 30, signs. Look at verse 30 there. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this Book. Here's what a sign is. A sign is not just a miracle. It's not just working wonders, but it's a, a sign is something that, that points to something else. I find it just really interesting with, with my kids, right? I've got um, now my youngest is three, Hank is three, and he can't read yet. But since he was probably one, one and a half, he could recognize logos. Your kids have this ability, right? They can't read yet, but it's like, viva vey! Viva vey! yeah, buddy, that's Chick Fil A, right? That's right there because they see the right, and they go, oh, Starbucks. Mom's about to get happier right now, and they, right, like, and they just they can see they can see the logos and and they go, oh, they're you know, but here's the thing, that sign, that Chick Fil A sign, that Starbucks sign, right? They know brands. They go, oh, that's Nike, that's this, right? Because they, they can see the logo, they can see the brand, they can see the sign, but 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 the sign. For Chick-fil-A out by the road, that's not the Chick-fil-A. It's just pointing you to the Chick-fil-A. The sign for Starbucks isn't the Starbucks. It's pointing you, here's where you go to get happy (laughs) or whatever. And and so so what, what John's saying is here, I've written some signs. I've put some markers in here so that you would look to something else. I don't want you to get just so focused on the sign itself. I want you to focus on what it points to. Now, there are seven signs... In John, Now here's what's fascinating is the first six, everybody agrees, all the commentators, all the scholar agree what the first six signs are. Here, in, in chapter two, Jesus turns water into wine, and it explicitly there says, "This is the first of the signs that he did." In chapter four, he heals a sick boy. That's also explicitly described as a sign. He quits he, Along the way, he doesn't quite explicitly say it quite as often. So he turns water into wine, he heals a sick boy, he heals a paralyzed man, he feeds the 5,000, he heals a man uh, that was born blind, and he raises Lazarus from the dead. These are these seven or six signs that all take place in the first 12 chapters of the book. And and so all the scholars, all the people agree, okay, these are the six signs, these things are legit, these things are the, are the, the signs that John has in mind. But then everybody debates what the seventh one is. Is it Jesus walking on the water? Is it something else, right? Because there's other miracles that that Jesus does. But what does John have in mind here in terms of a sign? Well, it's interesting because when you look at all of these, the water into wine is Jesus. This one's a really interesting one we'll see it in a, I don't know, a month or so. We'll get to John 2. And, and there's all, these, all this water at a wedding. or all, They've run out of wine. There's all these water jugs. And Jesus changes the water into wine. And they say, this is the best wine we've had. And you go, well, wait a minute. That doesn't, like, that doesn't heal anybody. That doesn't fix anybody. Like, what is that about? And that's the one that John says, this is the first sign. Well, what's it a sign of? It's a sign that when you trust Jesus, the party's on its way. It's coming, right? It's a way of saying, hey, Jesus has come to bring the new heavens, to bring the new earth. There's all this prophecy in Isaiah that talks about how wine will flow when the kingdom comes. It's Jesus' way of announcing the kingdom of God is here, right? In Mark, he explicitly says the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. In John, he just gives you a sign of what the kingdom is. And he turns the water into wine. And then all these other signs that you see are Jesus saying, this is what life looks like in the kingdom. You're healed. You're restored. You're fed. You're nourished. You can see. And you rise from the dead, right? These are all previews of coming attractions. All right, this is what we are as the people of God. We're to be the pink spoon people. Right? We kind of say that. Sometimes you'll see shirts around here where maybe some of you at home are wearing your pink spoon shirt. And if you're ever wearing it, people are like, what, what's the deal with that shirt? What's that about? And here's the deal with that shirt is we are giving people a preview. Just like when you go to Baskin-Robbins, they're giving you a little taste of the real ice cream. We're giving a preview of the kingdom of God. Jesus is giving a preview of the kingdom of God. So it begs the question, what's the seventh sign? And I won't leave you in suspense. I think, and a lot of other scholars agree with this, um, that the seventh sign is Jesus' death and resurrection. Because the book begins by saying, in the beginning, God. And it's talking about how Jesus is ushering in new creation, giving a preview of what's to come. And that culminates when Jesus dies for sin, killing the biggest enemy that we have, and rises again to be a preview of the life in the kingdom of God. And so that is the sign, and John is writing all of this to say, hey, you have a bright future. You have a future where you do not have to be afraid of sickness and death, where that is not the end of your story. Because Jesus rose, Jesus is generous, and Jesus is coming again. So who is Jesus? He's the Christ, the Son of God. What did he do? He previewed the world to come. And finally, what does Jesus want what does Jesus want? Here's what he wants. He wants you. You. To have life in him. Turn to, turn to your neighbor and say, you, right? If you're watching at home, turn to someone in your house and watch you. If you're by yourself, just point it at yourself. Say, you. You. He wants you to have life in him. Look at verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in his name. Now, that word you is a plural word. It could be translated as y'all, right? So some of you are like, yeah, that's more, that's more my, my speed, right? Y'all, right? That's what he's saying. I wrote this stuff so that y'all would have life in his name. Anybody who wants to come, anyone who wants to taste, anyone who wants to trust can have life. In his name, one last quote by Ken Burns. I, I, I saw this quote, and it just floored me. He says this, my job as a documentarian, my job is to wake the dead. That's what I do for a living. And John's like, you stole that from me. <laughs> because that's what John's saying. I wrote this to wake you from the dead. I, woke, I, I wrote this to give you life. What is all of this for? Why would he spend all of this time crafting this finely written book? Why would he do it? So that you would have life in his name. That word life that you see there at the end of verse 31 appears 36 times in the gospel of John. I want to just give you a sampling. I'm not going to run through 36 of these. But just here's a a sample. In John 1 verse 4, we'll look at this next week. It says, in him was life and the life was the light of men. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. John 6.35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John 10.10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. John 11.25, Jesus said to her, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John 17.3, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Did you hear those verses? This is such good news. Here's what this means. This means that Jesus came so that we would be satisfied, so that we would know God, and so it would last forever. That's as good as it gets. That is as best as you could hope for. Now, let me ask you, where are you looking for life? It's not like, uh, it's not like only some people. Are on the hunt for life. Every, everybody's looking for it. Right? All marketing is trying to say, here's how you get life. So let me ask you, where are you looking for life? For meaning, for satisfaction, for hope, for endurance? Where are you, where are you looking for that? And here, here's the hard truth of, of 2020 is that this year's revealing the bankruptcy of every other place we look, doesn't it? You go, well, I'm looking for it in my career. Are you still going to have a job? Have you already lost it? Is it changed so much that it, it's not even fun anymore? You go, well, I'm going to find life in my family. You've had more family than you ever wanted. You're like, I'd like to have less life in my family now. You know what? I'm going to find life in my health. Don't do that. We just see how how tenuous it all is. You're going to find life in politics? (laughs) But man, don't we? Don't we do that? I mean, like, we can all sit here and go, oh, my gosh, that's ridiculous. But then we go home and get discipled by the media all week that says, this is the only thing that matters. Less than 90 days till the most important thing in the history of ever. It isn't. You're looking for entertainment. There no new movies. No, no, no good sports. Right? You just look for life everywhere else. And here's the thing, it it's hard to have all of our idols collapse at once, isn't it? That's what I talked about last week. It's like just get eaten by a duck. Just It's brutal. But I just wonder, what if this is God's wake-up call for God's people? And for those of you who have never trusted in Christ, What if this is God's way to get your attention? What if God's grace to you is actually chipping away at all the idols that you have built that aren't going to give you life, that aren't going to satisfy, that aren't going to last, that aren't going to endure? They don't satisfy that deeply. They don't last that long. What if this is God's gift to us? C.S. Lewis, again, last quote from him, says, God whispers in our pleasures but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. So listen, God wants you to have life. God wants you to have hope. God wants you to have it last forever. How do you get it? Well, don't miss this key word in verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. You do not get the life that Jesus offers unless you believe unless you trust, unless you put your confidence and your hope in, unless you live trusting him. That's what believe is, right? Listen, believe is not just what facts do you agree with. Believe is, is about the orientation of your heart that says, this is where I stand. This is what I live for. This is what drives me. And listen, Jesus says, if you will live for him, if you will believe in him, if you will trust in him, that he is offering you a life that endures. That's what we're going to see in this book. That's what we're seeing as we look through the Gospel of John is Jesus, the Son of God, who died and rose as a preview of the life to come so that we could begin to taste it now. Get this. When when Jesus said in John 10, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly, he didn't mean in 50 years when you die or in five minutes when you die. He didn't mean someday in the sweet by and by you'll have life, though you will if you trust in him. He wants you to have it now. He wants you to trust him now, to be hopeful now, to have endurance now, to have hope now. He wants the world around to see you as a sign that says, wow, the the main thing I see pulsing out of your life and your attitude and your words and your Facebook posts and everything you do, the thing I just see pulsing out of you is Jesus. Where do I get him? And you say, oh, (laughs) well, I just, I just live that way because I want you to know that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. So that you would believe in him. And that by believing, you would have life in his name. One of the best things you could do as we begin this series is begin to tell somebody about John. Begin to read it with them. Begin to host a watch party and invite non-Christians over to explore who Jesus is. Invite them to church if they'll come. But we we need to, we got some good news here, people. And holy smokes, in a year of terrible news, we got some good stuff. Let's lean into it. Let's remember this is the life we have. It all comes in Jesus. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your grace to us. And we thank you that you have given us your grace by sending Jesus. Oh, God, help our eyes to see him. Help our hearts to treasure him. Help us to savor the risen Lord. Oh God, would you give us faith even right in this moment? Would you give us faith over these next weeks and months as we study this book? God, I pray that this would not be an academic thing primarily, but that it would be a heart thing that you change what we trust in, that you change what we look to to have life, and that you would allow us to experience the beauty and joy of Jesus. We pray in his name, amen.